There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, a part of the Agora Podcast Network. I am your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being more deeply in touch with our own humanity. Today we are diving into the turbulent annals of the English monarchy and nobility, focusing on the tragic stories of the Dukes of Buckingham pivotal characters caught in the crossfire of power and ambition. Our protagonists for today's narrative are Henry Stafford, second Duke of Buckingham, and his son Edward, the third Duke. Before we get started, though, your reminder about TudorCon. I can't not do a podcast to remind you about TudorCon. So if you can't come to Pennsylvania for TudorCon in person, we have the streaming tickets, and you can find out all about that. You get all of the sessions will be live streamed. You can be in the chat asking questions. It'll be monitored, all that. You also get recordings of everything. You get a digital goodie bag. Um, you get some extra surprises that are just for TudorCon streaming folks. Some extra bonuses that'll be thrown in because when the in-person people are at the fair and doing feasting and things like that, we need to have stuff for you guys. And so we're working on putting together all kinds of cool events and things that will be in addition to the regular TudorCon just for streamers. So you can find out all the details and get $10 off your ticket by entering the code EARLYBIRD when you get your ticket at englandcast.com slash online. That's englandcast.com slash online. I hope that I will see you September 8th through 10th online. Also, my friends, welcome to the newest patrons of this podcast, Lady Mary, Jackie, and Catitude. Thank you so much for your patronage. And as a reminder, if you want to support this podcast and get extra episodes and other cool stuff, go to patreon.com slash englandcast to join this crew of exceptionally creative people. They're just lovely. They have wonderful taste. <laughs> All right, let us talk about the Dukes of Buckingham. I've been talking about these kind of cousins of the Tudors and these sorts of tragic stories that happen. So we talked about the Poles. We talked about the De La Poles. Today, we are talking about the Staffords. So it is worth noting that the Dukedom of Buckingham has a particularly complex history. It's been created several times with varying forms and associated privileges. 
Each creation has reflected, of course, the political landscape of the time, demonstrating how titles of nobility were often intertwined with the shifting dynamics of power and favor within the monarchy. Today, we are talking about two Dukes of Buckingham, father and son, both involved in rebellion or suspicion of rebellion against the king, and both ending up executed. Each duke in his respective time held significant power and sway over England's political landscape. However, their privileged positions placed them on a precipice, and accusations of rebellion against the crown led to their grim downfalls. As we recount their stories, we will explore the intricate dynamics of royal politics, family alliances, and power struggles that painted the broader backdrop of medieval England. Henry Stafford was executed in 1483. He defied the notorious Richard III, setting a chain of events that would continue to impact the Buckingham lineage. His son Edward met a similar fate under the reign of Henry VIII, a king infamous for his ruthless treatment of perceived threats. Let's first set the stage with some essential context about the Dukedom of Buckingham. The title Duke of Buckingham was created several times in the peerage of England with its earliest instantation dating back to the 14th century. The honor was typically bestowed on individuals with close familial or political ties to the monarchy, which naturally imbued the position with significance and prestige. It wasn't until 1444, under the reign of Henry VI, that the dukedom was granted to the Stafford family in the form of Humphrey Stafford. The Staffords were already quite prominent in English society, boasting a lineage that connected them to both Edward III and Thomas of Woodstock, lending an aura of legitimacy and authority to their rise. The Staffords' ascent to the Buckingham dukedom marked the start of a complex and dramatic saga. Under the mantle of the Dukes of Buckingham, the Stafford patriarchs wielded significant influence over the nation's political and social affairs. However, their heightened status placed them squarely in the midst of the monarch's gaze, setting the stage for the turbulent fates of Henry and Edward Stafford. The lives of these Dukes of Buckingham, Henry II Duke and his son Edward III, were intertwined with the fabric of the English monarchy, and their narratives are deeply embedded in the socio-political dynamics of their time. Born in 1455 to Humphrey Stafford, first Duke of Buckingham, and Margaret Beaufort, Countess of Stafford. Now, actually, we need to have a pause here before I go on, because this is not Margaret Beaufort, Henry VII's mother. Oh, no, no, no. Mm, no, this is a different Margaret Beaufort. And I'm fairly convinced that when they named this Margaret Beaufort, they did that specifically knowing that in 570 years, um, Heather Tesco would be frustrated at the different Margaret Beauforts. I'm absolutely sure they had that in mind. Of course, because I think I've said this before, I am the center of the universe. Everything revolves around me, even the things 500 years ago or 600 years ago. But I do think it's interesting that there were a couple of Margaret Beauforts and there were also a couple of Jane Seymours floating around. I just did a YouTube short on Lady Jane Seymour, not the queen. Oh, no, no, no the queen's niece. So, you know, that's not complicating anything. But I guess we still do it today. For example, I have a personal share. Before I was married, my name was Heather Butner. 
And there's another Heather Butner out there. There's a couple of them, but I specifically know this one who I believe lives in Missouri. And I know this because I get emails for her occasionally. And I try to write back to the people and tell the people that uh, I'm not that Heather Butner. I'm a different Heather Butner who's actually not even Heather Butner anymore, um, which is a bit of an existential crisis waiting to happen. And it is very late as I'm recording this. So I might get a little bit tangential. But uh, anyway, when I write back, the emails just wind up going to myself. (laughs) So it's like there might be like another me that's living this parallel life. I'm not exactly sure. But point is, Margaret Beaufort, not the Margaret Beaufort that I have like a total history obsession crush on. Not that Margaret Beaufort. Humphrey Stafford's wife, Countess, that Margaret Beaufort. So Henry Stafford, her son inherited the title of Duke at a tender age of four after his father fell in the Battle of Northampton during the Wars of the Roses. The sudden catapult into power was an ominous prelude to Henry's tumultuous life and tragic end. Growing up during a period of profound conflict and instability, Henry was a child of the war-torn era, witnessing firsthand the ruthless power struggle between the houses of Lancaster and York. Henry initially showed allegiance to the House of York and became a firm ally of Edward IV. He was known for his charisma, his diplomatic prowess, which helped him navigate the dangerous waters of the royal court. He married Catherine Woodville, the queen's sister, further solidifying his ties with the ruling Yorkist regime. So he was Edward IV's brother-in-law. Then Henry's fortune took a significant downturn following Edward IV's death in 1483. The subsequent power vacuum saw Edward's younger brother, Richard, ascending to the throne as Richard III. Although, of course, they are still related through marriage and Henry was an ally of Richard III initially, their relationship began to strain as the new king tightened his grip on power. Henry became disillusioned with Richard's rule and, you know, his um, alleged usurpation of the throne from his nephews. Probable usurpation. I don't want to offend Ricardians, but, you know, that's what I think. And, of course, he was worried about the princes in the tower, and he was dissatisfied with what was going on. And this fueled his decision to join a rebellion against Richard III. Buckingham's rebellion was not a sudden and impulsive uprising. It was actually a carefully orchestrated rebellion that had its roots in the deep discontentment that brewed among the nobility following Richard III's ascension to the throne. Richard's claim was controversial, as he declared his nephews illegitimate, and usurped the throne that should have rightfully passed to Edward V, his nephew. The rebellion was planned in secret, with various nobles and influential figures involved. Notably, the rebellion's objective was not just to overthrow Richard, but also to place Henry Tudor on the throne. Henry Tudor was at this time living in exile in Brittany at the time, and his claim to the throne came through his mother, Margaret Beaufort, but not Henry Stafford's mother, the other Margaret Beaufort, who, of course, was a descendant of John of Gaunt, Duke of Lancaster. Margaret Beaufort played a key role in the rebellion, communicating with Buckingham and other conspirators and promoting her son's claim to the throne. 
The rebellion was meticulously planned with uprisings scheduled simultaneously in different parts of the kingdom in late October 1483. The plan was to create chaos, distract Richard, and provide cover for Henry Tudor to land in the south of England. However, despite careful planning, the rebellion did not go as expected. A great storm disrupted Henry's crossing from Brittany, preventing him from landing in England. This setback was a massive blow to the rebellion, as Henry Tudor's presence was crucial for rallying support and legitimacy. In addition, Richard III was quick to respond. He learned of the rebellion plans, probably through his spy network, and swiftly moved to suppress it. Buckingham's forces, which had gathered in the Welsh marches, were defeated before they could join forces with the other rebels. In terms of battles, there was no significant pitched battle, but rather a series of skirmishes and local uprisings, all of which were suppressed by Richard's forces. Finally, the rebels hoped for widespread support did not materialize. The lack of a clear leader on English soil due to Henry Tudor's inability to get onto English soil, Richard's rapid response, and the weather-induced disruption all contributed to the collapse of the rebellion. Following the failure of the rebellion, Buckingham tried to flee but was betrayed and captured. He was executed with just a very basic show trial. Some people say it didn't even count as a trial. On November 2nd, 1483, and that was a stark demonstration of Richard III's power and his determination to maintain control of the throne. The rebellion's failure marked the end for Buckingham, but set the stage for the later successful rebellion led by Henry Tudor, who would become Henry VII, marking the start of the Tudor dynasty. Henry's rebellion and execution had a profound impact on the future of the monarchy and the Stafford family. His failed uprising was one of the factors that paved the way for the downfall of Richard and for the rise of the Tudors, but it also marked the beginning of a tragic pattern for the Dukes of Buckingham, as his son Edward would meet a similar fate later on. Henry's life and death were reflective of a time when power struggles and shifting alliances defined the political landscape, often leading to tragic outcomes. Following Henry Stafford's execution, the dukedom of Buckingham was forfeit. The repercussions of Buckingham's rebellion were still rippling through the nobility, casting a shadow over the Stafford family's prospects. However, history was rapidly evolving. Less than two years after the failed uprising, Richard III was defeated at Bosworth, marking the end of the Plantagenet rule and the beginning of the Tudors. Edward Stafford, Henry's son, was only a child when his father was executed, but he was growing up in the middle of all of this drama and chaos. The forfeiture of the dukedom following his father's execution left him in a precarious position. However, under the new Tudor reign, his fortunes took a turn for the better. The new king, Henry VII, was conscious of the need to unify the country and consolidate his power. So, to achieve this, he sought to reconcile with the nobility, including those who had been involved in rebellions against the crown. And, of course, Henry Stafford had rebelled in Henry Tudor's name. So, the Buckingham title was restored to Edward Stafford in 1485. Edward was only about nine then, but the restoration of the title marked a new chapter in his life. He was closely connected to the new Tudor dynasty. His mother, Catherine Woodville, was the aunt of Henry VII's wife, Elizabeth of York. 
which made Edward a first cousin of the future Henry VIII. Additionally, his mother, Catherine, had married Jasper Tudor after her husband was executed. So she was also the aunt, the new aunt, sort of, aunt figure to the king. As Edward grew older, he became a notable figure at court, setting the stage for his rise as the third Duke of Buckingham. Edward was known for his charm, intelligence, and courtly manners, all qualities that made him popular among the nobility. He married Eleanor Percy, the daughter of Henry Percy, fourth Earl of Northumberland, in a match that further consolidated his position among England's elite. Edward was notably ambitious, perhaps too much for his own good. He harbored a keen desire for power and influence. One would think he might have learned what, with, you know, what happened to his dad, uh, but it seemed to have had the opposite effect on him. If it were me, I'd be like, can I just go, you know, be a farmer somewhere and just kind of keep my head down and just do my thing? But he did not. He had an impressive lineage and connections, and he thought he arguably had a better claim to the throne than Henry VII himself. Not a good opinion to have, definitely not a good opinion to voice. So Henry VIII ascended to the throne in 1509. Edward's influence seemed to be on the rise. He was appointed as a member of the Privy Council. He became a close companion of the young king. He was often at the king's side, participating in jousting tournaments, state affairs, and diplomatic missions. However, his high profile and apparent ambition started to raise eyebrows. By 1520, whispers of Edward's ambition had begun to circulate around court. The duke was perceived as too pompous, acting as if he was virtually royalty. His large retinue, ostentatious lifestyle, and his claim to royal blood were all seen as signs of his dangerous ambition. Such rumors, of course, would not go unnoticed by the king. Henry VIII, though initially close to Edward, began to view him with suspicion. The king's advisor, Thomas Wolsey, also saw Edward as a threat to the king's absolute authority and to his own power, and so, always aware of the nobility's power, he did nothing to dispel Henry's growing suspicion. Edward's downfall began in earnest when he allegedly listened to a prophecy by a Carthusian monk predicting the king's early death. This, of course, was treason. Listening to or propagating such predictions was considered a crime, implying a direct threat against the king's life. Edward was arrested in 1521, and his spectacular fall from grace was swift and shocking. His trial was a grand spectacle, with the duke being accused of planning to kill the king and seize the throne. Despite his fervent protests of innocence and the lack of concrete evidence, Edward was convicted of treason, and he was executed in 1521 in May of 1521, a grim echo of his father's fate. His title and properties were forfeit, leaving his family in disgrace. Edward Stafford, 3rd Duke of Buckingham, is a classic example of the delicate and dangerous balance between power and loyalty within the Tudor court. His rise and fall encapsulate the volatile dynamics of the Tudor era, where suspicion and power struggles could lead to the downfall of even the highest nobles. It's also a reminder that being cousins with the king isn't always a good idea. The execution of Henry and Edward Stafford left an indelible mark on the Stafford family and the dukedom of Buckingham. 
Following Edward's execution, the Buckingham title was once again forfeit and the Stafford family was left in disgrace again. The family's expansive estates were seized by the crown, significantly reducing their wealth and influence. However, they did manage to persevere through this difficult period. Despite their diminished status, they remained a part of the gentry. Over time, they were able to regain some of their lost prestige, with some members of the family even serving at court in later years. In terms of the broader impact on the relationship between the nobility and the monarchy, the executions of the Dukes of Buckingham made it clear that the king's favor was not something to be taken for granted. Nobles were reminded of the potential consequences for disloyalty, leading to a culture of caution and conformity at court. On a broader level, the fall of the Dukes of Buckingham underlined the shift from the feuding nobility of the Wars of the Roses era to a more centralized, absolute monarchy of the Tudor period. It was a grim demonstration of the lengths to which the monarchy would go to secure its position, setting the tone for the rest of the Tudor dynasty and beyond. For more than a century, the title remained dormant. The English monarchy underwent significant changes during this period, including the reigns of Edward, Mary, Elizabeth, and the transition from the Tudors to the Stuarts. And it wasn't until the early 17th century, under James I, that the title was revived. In 1623, the title Duke of Buckingham was bestowed upon George Villiers, a favorite courtier of James I. He was a skilled diplomat and politician who had risen rapidly in the court, and his close relationship with the king played a significant role in his elevation. The creation of the new dukedom marked a break with the past as the title was now associated with the Villiers family rather than the Staffords. The dukedom stayed with the Villiers family for several generations, passing down the line of succession. The Villiers Dukes of Buckingham, however, would face their own share of controversies and challenges in the years to come, continuing the tumultuous legacy of the dukedom. However, that is beyond the scope of this episode. <laughs> I think it's funny that my personal share about the Heather Butner who lives in Missouri is in the scope of this episode, but the Villiers family is not. But, you know, it's my podcast, so I get to decide. Anyway, we're going to stop it here. Hop into the Tudor Learning Circle at tutorlearningcircle.com to discuss this and other things Tudor. It's a free social network just for Tudor nerds. And remember to check out TudorCon streaming tickets at englandcast.com slash TudorCon online and use the code EARLYBIRD to save $10 off of your ticket. Hey, thank you so much for listening. I am so happy that you spent the past 20 minutes with me. You could have been doing anything. You, there's like so much you could have been doing, but you chose to spend it with me. And I appreciate that. I will talk to you again in the next episode where we will be talking about yet another branch of cousins, the Courtenay family. So that will be fun. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I will talk with you again soon. Have a most fantastical week. <laughs> bye bye. Blow northern wind, a sandal baby sweating.